the bell is rung. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of In Ring Reality. Today, of course, is the AEW Dynamite Weekly Review, where the big takeaway is not the fact that if you're watching the video version, that it's now too freaking hot for me to broadcast with my door shut, which means I have to cover my prized possession, Becky Lynch, Royal Rumble Black. No, no, no. The big takeaway from this week is that it was a night of debuts. And AEW showed how to do debuts the right way, ladies and gentlemen. They absolutely killed two debuts last night. And the first was in the women's division. As any reverse of what you would expect to happen when someone gets a big hype package because we got a big hype package for Hannah J who was previously seen very briefly on both AEW Dark and one of the AEW pay-per-view pre-shows. I apologize. I can't remember which one it was that she wrestled on, but we've seen her a little bit before. But they give her the proper video package to where you think, okay, this is going to be the moment where she gets her proper debut. This is going to be where you stand up, pay attention, like, oh man, we we really got to know what's up with this Hannah J chick now. She comes out for her match, and she's dressed a lot like Cindea. If you're familiar with DC Comics, I'm talking about that Cindea, not the singer Cindea, who's also MJ in the Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Homecoming 2, which I cannot think of the name of. Was it Spider-Man? Far From Home. That's it. It's not that Zendaya. It's Zendaya from DC Comics, the daughter of a magician who utilizes magic to do some awesome, awesome things. So she's looking a lot like her, where you're like, okay, I can get behind this. Let's see what this girl is all about. Then her opponent comes out. And her opponent is named Abaddon. Now, if you don't know the significance of the name Abaddon, I don't blame you because I didn't either. But that's why, as a podcast host, you do a little bit of a thing called research, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, somewhat foreign concept. But for yours truly, your host, Josh Rosaskis, who I forgot to say my name of again. I'm getting in a really bad habit of forgetting to say who I am and just assuming that everyone knows who I am now. And because they either see the nameplate on the visual version or they're just used to my voice on the audio version by now. But yes, hi, hello. I'm your host, Josh Rodaskis. But yes, research is a bit of a foreign concept these days to myself as well 
but it is still a thing that exists. So upon doing said research, and yes, of course, I'm entirely joking. I do research for every one of these shows. But just in case, sarcasm does not translate into visual or audio formatting. Yes, I'm being 100% sarcastic and telling a joke there. Anyway, the name Avedon is a name in mythology. Now, the research did kind of betray me here because I couldn't figure out, is this Greek mythology? Is this Norse god mythology? Is it some other type of ancient mythology? I simply don't know what type of mythology this is. It just simply came up as a name in mythology, which is for a knight in hell, a living embodiment of a knight in hell. And I got to say that that name really does fit the character that we saw here for a description in terms of the way that the character looked. Because this lady comes down and she's slinking to the ring, much like the boogeyman did back in the day in WWE because she's walking on her hands and knees as she comes to the ring. Or like the demon Finn Bella when Finn was doing the demon persona. So anytime that we see crawling on hands and knees in wrestling, that of course is a giant red flag to tell our brain, okay, creepy, creepy. We had the upside down spider walk with Bray Wyatt. We had Nikki Cross when she was doing more over the top craziness. She did a little bit of a hand action as well in her ring entrance. Very, very small. She wasn't crawling on her hands and knees, but nonetheless, it was there. So, yes, big red flag if you're a wrestling fan. If hands and knees are involved in things. Not necessarily something you're going to be jumping up and down with joy to have a good time that you're about to witness. So, already knew that, okay, this is a creepy character that we're being introduced to here. Then, her smoke clears. Because she has a lot of smoke in her ring entrance. Right, so the smoke clears, and when we see her, her makeup is like the Joker just woke up on the wrong side of the bed one day and had a laughing fit and just went nuts all over his face. That's what Abaddon's makeup job looks like for this debuting lady superstar in AEW. And so... Proper, proper freaked out by this character. And AEW flips the script entirely because she defeats Hannah J. Avedon does in about a little under three minutes, I think, if my memory serves me correctly. Decided not to write down the terms of the length of the match. You notice that I tried that last week. Didn't really seem to flow in terms of the conversational aspect for me to like say this match was this long. 
it doesn't really fit the narrative. So didn't do that this week. Just have typical notes that I always take. But I do know a jobber match when I see one. And this was a jobber match, folks. This was a squash match to end all squash matches. And they put Abaddon over like the beast from hell that she's being betrayed to be. And afterwards, we got the Abaddon is all elite graphic that we're all used to seeing pop up on the AW.com website. So yeah, Abaddon came out of this thing as the big star. Totally flipped the script, totally worked. Everything about this worked, and I'm really, really intrigued by where they're going to go with Abaddon, even though, as I'm probably not the only pundit that's going to say today, I would be fine with never seeing Abaddon's face ever again. Because she gave me the heebie-jeebie, Joe. Freaky, freaky, freaky woman. But they didn't screw over Hannah J. Because as Hannah J is being focused on after losing the match and trying to get her whereabouts out her, you know, selling the injuries from the match, the Dark Order appears. And the Dark Order, not in a sinister way at all, they simply help Hannah J to the back. And Hannah J does not reject the advances of the Dark Order. So it looks like the Dark Order may have found its first ever female member. And while this doesn't count necessarily as a full-on debut, it was portrayed as a proper packaging. Like, oh, we're supposed to take Hannah J seriously now. So yeah, I'm going to kind of count this in this section because I think this is a big deal. The idea of Dark Order potentially getting its first member while all the while Stu Grayson and Evil Uno go over and deliver a giant manila envelope to Cabana in the crowd which we then later came to know that it's for him being signed to be the exalted one Mr. Bray Lee's tab partner next week in a match on Dynamite. I will get to that match when we cover the full show. I don't have the match right in front of me. I should have went ahead and put it in this section because even though it's not about debuts, it does flow with the dynamic of the show and what we did see because more plates were spinning with Colt in the Dark Order. So much so that Colt, when asked about, hey, you were talking to Brody Lee last week. We just saw that Brody Lee has signed a match with you in his corner next week. Have you joined the Dark Order? And Colt Cabana just brilliantly plays it off. He's like, no, no, I haven't joined the Dark Order. I was simply talking to a fellow wrestler. Last week when I went into Brody Lee's office, I talked to everybody backstage. That's not a big deal. If the camera had caught me, they could have caught me talking to a number of people last week. It just so happens that when they did catch me, I was talking to Mr. Brody Lee. While saying that, 
having his appearances on camera throughout the night and just have him have the blankest stare in all the world. Just further, further symbolizing that the Dark Order is getting to Colt Cabana. That the lack of ability to win a match is getting to Colt Cabana. Just brilliantly threaded and continued character work throughout this entire night. I love everything about this entire segment. But as I say, it was a night of debuts. We're not done. Debuts, plural. Because a little while down the road on the show, it was of course time for the TNT Championship Open Challenge. Cody comes out and says, hey, am I even a member of the Elite anymore, guys? Like, hey man, Kenny, Bucks, I'm just curious because I got my ass beat down by Jake Hager last week. You guys didn't come out. Private Party and Matt Hardy came out and helped me. You guys were nowhere to be seen. Am I even a member of the Elite anymore? What's going on there? While slowly, slowly scratching his beard with four fingers, kind of holding up a four. So maybe he's teasing a version of the four horsemen himself, his own four horsemen led by Cody. Kind of came out of nowhere for how over of a baby face he is. But he is led by and coached by Arn Anderson. So it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. So I, I love that little subtle piece of plate spinning. Sorry, that was a bit of a tongue twister there. But yeah, I love that little bit of plate spinning there from Cody. So then Cody turns it over to the coach of the Nightmare Family, Arn Anderson, who says, Cody, I know you want to kick Jake Hager's ass. I know you can kick Jake Hager's ass. You can beat him. But tonight is not the night. That's Fighter Fest. Tonight, we continue the open challenge by you meeting a guy that I know is really going to help sharpen your skills and really help things to move along for you in your career. I've done my homework. And then on the Titantron... We see the AEW debut of a brand new man who goes by the name of Absolute Ricky Starks. Who, for those of you familiar with NWA, which, full confession, is not myself. Because there's just too much wrestling as it is with everything WWE and everything AEW. That even the great New Japan Pro wrestling is not something that I can keep up with right now, let alone the idea of trying to keep up with Impact Wrestling, ROH, and NWA. Although I have heard great things about NWA power, particularly from my friend David Rivera, Fort Minor Project, who's been on this show a few times. So it is something that I would love to have time to check out at some point. But yeah, as of right now, I haven't seen any NWA. 
So despite those accolades from Absolute Ricky Starks, this was my first time I ever seen him. So it was a nice way to introduce him, a nice way to tell people, maybe if you're watching AEW, maybe you should be aware of who this guy is. And this is his AEW debut. He's not a part of the AEW roster. He's answering this open challenge. And I really love the way that they did this because the way that they did this makes this flow and makes this feel like more of an invitational and not so much an in-house open challenge. This feels more like anybody can come in and challenge Cody for this title. And in kayfabe, Absolute Ricky Starks was not a part of the AEW roster prior to this matchup. He joined AEW because he impressed the AEW management of Tony Khan and whoever is underneath him in terms of kayfabe enough to then subsequently get an AEW deal following the show. So, as the thumbnail says, if you're watching the video version, Absolute Ricky Starks is all elite. But, before this match, he was not. So, again, I really, really love the way that AEW handled all this. Because it does leave that door open for the possibility that the recently released WWE stars, some of them, particularly Matt Cardona, Zack Ryder, I think is the most likely one, could answer the TNT Championship down the road when that 90-day no-compete clause is up. So I thought this was a really, really important and, frankly, a really really exciting thing for AEW to do. And I've said it before, I would much prefer for AEW to go the route of we're not, we're not told who is going to answer the Open Challenge week to week. I understand that maybe from Cody and Arn's standpoint, it's a little bit better for Cody to know who he's going to face because he's able to prep and able to do the homework and able to be that no nonsense. I study everybody. I take everybody seriously. Babyface character that Cody is. But at the same time, I think it works much, much better with the audience not knowing from week to week who they're supposed to believe is going to come out and answer. I love that aspect of it. So I hope they continue that and only have the TNG Championship matches announced for a big event like a fighter Fest coming up with Jake Hager. But yeah, as you would expect, Absolute Ricky Starks does not win the AEW world title, or excuse me, the AEW TNT title here. He did not become TNT champion, but for being the first time that I've seen him, AEW again did great by Ricky because he put on a great match. He didn't put on a spectacular five-star, I'm going to take a lot away match. 
But he put on a great match and did what he needed to do to establish himself as a future player in all elite wrestling. So kudos to AEW last night for having two debuts and making them both feel special. Really, really well done. Moving on over in the notes here to breaking down the rest of the program. The show kicked off with the previously advertised AEW World Tag Team Championship match as the Natural Nightmares, Dustin Rhodes, and QT Marshall with Brandy Rhodes in their corner as Dustin bans Allie from ringside because he thinks Allie is a bad influence on QT. Of course, Allie ends up coming down at the end to motivate QT, and it wasn't enough. And as you would expect, because of other things already going on, particularly the World Tag Team title shot being put on the line in the main event, we do not have new AEW World Tag Team Champions Paige and Omega do retain. But anyway, the AEW always does. Where there was doubt, the opponents did look strong in the match. It wasn't a giveaway situation. And after the match, we began to believe more and more about the opponents just as much as the champions. And I said this last week, and I'm going to reiterate it. And I don't care if it's a popular opinion, because the entire point of doing a show like this is to get my opinions out as a passionate wrestling fan and for you, the passionate wrestling fans who listen to podcasts like this, to hear different opinions from different pundits, that I am actually an advocate and I hope it continues of the champions every time they're in the ring the championship should not be not online. It should be what we have seen in recent weeks with the tag team champions that, hey, they're in the ring. They should be defending the championships. It is probably no exaggeration for me to tell you as a viewer slash listener of In Ring Reality that for yours truly, Josh Rodaskis, it is my biggest wrestling pet peeve, and probably always has been, and takes away the verisimilitude and believability of professional wrestling, whatever little bit there is for our crazy theatrical show that we all love to enjoy. It takes that away for me when champions are in the ring and their championship is not online. Winning a championship in any promotion, not just AEW, but WWE, NWA, ROH, TNA, Slash Impact, whoever it is that is in wrestling right now, or whoever it was in the past when it was NWA slash WCW, when it was ECW, having a championship has always meant the exact same thing, which we are, which is sorry, that we are putting the title on you. We are telling the audience, if they don't know anything about you before, 
they now know that you have a strap on you, which means that you're someone that they absolutely should be standing up like the hair on their necks and paying attention to because you are a star. You have a title. That is just how I feel about it. I know that it irritates some people out there with AEW in particular because of AEW's ranking system that they introduced a while back and that it's a problem for their ranking system. But the ranking system was never said to be, and I think this is where the misunderstanding comes in for those people. The ranking system for All Elite Wrestling was never said to be, if you're ranked number one, you're the only one that gets a title shot. They've said all along, and you can go to AllEatWrestling.com to look this up yourself if you don't believe what I'm saying. But they've said all along that the ranking system is just about if you accumulate wins and if you are ranked number one, you are guaranteed a title shot. It's a guarantee. Nobody can take it away from you. But the other people can be granted title shots for other reasons before you are or <sighs> before you are or in addition to you being granted those title shots. So it's not anything the AEW did or didn't do with this change. And it, it's something that, in my mind, really works. And it's something that should be continued. <clears throat> There's no reason in the world that a champion should not have their title online every time they step into a ring. It's just how I feel. And if you feel like it undermines the ranking system... The ranking system philosophy kind of went out the window with the pandemic that we're in anyway in recent weeks. Just get rid of it because you don't need it to build stars. AEW in particular has proven that they don't need a ranking system to build stars. So just do away with it and just continue to happen that every time we see a champion advertised for a match, have their title be on the line. Whether or not we are supposed to believe that it's a big time match and the champion has a shot of losing in this case is kind of irrelevant. Just have the championship be on the line. That's just how it should be, in my opinion. So yeah, good match. Title's never really in doubt. More seeds of dissension being planted between QT Marshall is Allie going to turn on QT Marshall eventually, like everybody thinks? Is she a distraction? Is she going to drive that wedge between the elite where Allie says, baby, choose me, or the Nightmare Family? I misspoke. I said the elite a minute ago, but the Nightmare Family, because the Nightmare Family clearly doesn't want me around. I, I And we're going to see a feud eventually between QT and Dustin, when the natural nightmares break up. I don't know. I don't know what the long 
certain planning is there, but everything as far as uh, as far as elements of this match worked really really well, and kudos to everybody involved there. Next up, it was sorry about the pause there. The notes app froze on me, but. Next up, it was the match that we've already talked about, which was the Avedon and Anna J match. So, following them, it was MJF and Warlow, or sorry, with Warlow, taking on Billy Gunn with Austin and Colton Gunn, the Gun Club, in his corner. MJF gets the victory here, and all along we see Austin and Colton continue to plant the seeds that they might be future stars in AEW. So this match did everything again that it was supposed to do. What a novel concept that AEW continues to do week after week after week, match after match after match. Just working and doing what you're supposed to do. And that's what happened with this match. MJF is still a bastard heel as he utilizes the ring to get the victory. And the sons of Billy Gunn look strong in defeat. In Billy Gunn's defeat, that is. Next up, Alex Marvez is backstage. He's interviewing Chris Jericho and asking Chris Jericho why did the inner circle do what they did last week to Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho's look like look Orange Cassidy's a funny guy he's a funny funny dude and everybody likes him but he crossed the line one too many times when he got involved in inner circle business so we took him down with a 20 pound bag of oranges we beat his butt down And that's just the way the orange is juiced. That's the way the cookie crumbles. So, Chris Jericho explaining his actions there with that one. And also saying, hey, look, we got what we wanted. Because the best friends, Chuck and Trent, are now so riled up that they've given Les Sex Gods a chance to win their tag team title shot at Fighter Fest. Because they want a piece of us that badly. Next up, we had match between Superbad Squad, Jimmy Havoc, and Kip Sabian. With, of course, Superbad Penelope Ford at ringside as they took on the team of the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick. This was a tremendous match. They continue to really let the Superbad Squad show what they can do. There were plenty of times throughout this match. This match went a good, gosh, had to be at least 20, 25 minutes. So there was plenty of times throughout this match where I was like, dang. Superbad Squad might actually beat the Young Bucks here. But in the end, the Young Bucks did get the victory. Then chaos ensued. Butcher and Blade, who were at ringside in the corner, of Superbad Squad, they attack the Young Bucks again, 
which causes FDR to come out because, again, FDR doesn't want any excuses from the Young Bucks when FDR finally beats them. They hit their package pile driver finisher, spike package pile driver finisher, which I talked about last week. I cannot remember the name of it. Is it listed here in the notes? I may have written it down because I remembered that I didn't remember it last week. So give me one second here to skim through this. No, I just said FDR and the Buck stands Hall. So next week, I will make sure that I remember to take note of the name of the finisher. Now the Dynamite Kid and Bruce Brody, or sorry, Dynamite Kid. No, not Dynamite Kid. You, you know what I'm talking about. There, there's a very famous, sta- oh no, it was Arn and Tully. Of course it was. Arn and Tully used the, the pile driver off the top rope as a finisher for years. But, of course, FDR is calling it something else besides they did because they are a different team. So, yeah, I will make sure that I write that down next week. So, apologies to you all for that. We then got a backstage promo segment with Taz and Brian Cage as they're like in a quarry somewhere or outside somewhere. I'm not sure where they were, but they cut their typical promo that they've cut over the last several weeks, putting themselves over, putting over Brian Cage, saying Brian Cage can't wait to tear apart John Moxley at Fighter Fest. This does everything that it was supposed to do, explain their attack on Moxley last week, saying that Moxley was overheard by them on their bus. Moxley ran his mouth, so they asserted themselves. They reminded Moxley who they are. They just did what they had to do to push their own agenda forward and remind Moxley and the AEW brass and fans to take them seriously. And then it was the main event of Dynamite for this week. It was... Lost Sex Gods taking on best friends Chuck and Trent for the world title shot. The world tag team title shot, that is. Sorry. Online. And in this match, as typical for AEW, it looked like Lost Sex Gods was going to win a number of times. In the end, though, best friends do retain their World Tag Team title shot at Fighter Fest as they get the victory over Les Axe Gods. They pin Sammy Guevara as Sammy Guevara is tripped from the outside. The announced team plays it up where they're like, man, Sammy Guevara just cannot catch a break at all. In this scenario, this week, because he just got caused the match by the cameraman. It turns out that it's not the cameraman at all, but instead, as you would expect, Orange Cassidy in disguise. Orange Cassidy does not do the typical Orange Cassidy character in this instance. Instead, 
he is deadly serious. Not the Becky Lynch fandom, the deadlies, but just deadly serious. Beats the crap out of Chris Jericho and announces his presence that he wants a piece of Chris Jericho. Tony Khan tells the announced team in their headset that he's confirmed it. It's going to be Chris Jericho one-on-one against Orange Cassidy at Fighter Fest. I love this. Chef's Kiss, awesome. This was just great. The only other thing that wasn't a match that I realized that I accidentally forgot to talk about because we covered the women's segment from earlier on. So I kind of lost track of the other women's segment because in addition to Hannah J, which and the Dark Order, which I guess could have been considered even a third women's segment, we did get a prominent number two women's thread throughout the night as we saw more awesome silliness from the injured Dr. Britt Baker. She this time has developed a pulley system so she can get notes from her Rolls Royce down to Tony Schiavone for Tony to read messages from her telling her friend Tony Schiavone what her feelings are for her situation and the matches that she's seeing in front of her, which was just brilliant throughout the night because Tony is just so innocent in all this. He's trying to be a good guy, but he and he knows that Britt Baker is not the best person in the world, but he legitimately really, really likes Britt Baker. He just likes her and thinks that they have a good rapport and enjoys being Britt Baker's friend. Everything about this really works until the point where Tony Schiavone just gets frustrated enough with Britt Baker to break away from her. Or maybe he has a little bit of a heel turn and is all about the role model and all about plugging everything that she's all about somewhere down the road. But in addition to the Tony Schiavone stuff, which is brilliant, Britt Baker then gets frustrated at something, can't quite remember what it is. I think it's a, no, it's an interview. Tony comes down for an interview to confirm and tell everybody that there's going to be a women's title match at Fighter Fest between Superbad Penelope Ford and the champion Sheeta, Akara Sheeta. So Britt Baker gets frustrated at this and is like, why are you telling me this when I can't fight for the title? You're supposed to be focused on me. No, we're done. I'm done. I'm out of here. Tells Reba, who of course is a rebel, she can never remember her name, to drive her away from the arena. And the driver turns around and says, where to, doctor? Playing off the, of course, infamously famous WWE spot of where to, Stephanie, from The Undertaker. And this time it was Big Swole, of course, who's driving Britt Baker playing off what happened last week with Big Swole. Big Swole ends up driving and dumping Britt Baker into a dumpster. Britt Baker is freaking out, yelling at Rebel, like, Reba, where were you? Where were you, Reba? Like, get Tony Schiavone out here. He should be out here right now. He's a friend. Get him out here right now. Get me out of here. You know, just continuing to do brilliant, brilliant character work while being quote-unquote 
covered with garbage from being dumped in this dumpster. It was just brilliant. Everything about it worked so, so very, very well indeed. I, I loved everything about this. So, yes, that is your episode of AW Dynamite for this week. If I have to give it a star rating, which I don't necessarily like to do because I think that's entirely subjective, but I just to prove that I am subjective and I just don't blindly praise AEW. I thought that this was actually a middle of the road show by AEW's own standard. This was definitely not one of the strongest dynamites despite all the positive things that I talked about with the show that I really thought really worked so very, very well indeed. There were plenty that didn't work and plenty when compared to other dynamites that just wasn't as good at all. So yeah, middle of the road edition this week for dynamite. But do let me know what you thought about it. Of course, down below in the comment section on Facebook or YouTube, whether you were watching live, I don't see any live comments today. So if you're out there watching, thank you for watching. Please don't be afraid to comment more as time goes on. But yeah, do let me know via the replays on Facebook or YouTube or get in touch with us on social media. We're at In Ring Reality Everywhere on all the platforms. Or get in touch with us via email at inringreality at gmail.com. Or you can find my personal social media if you just want to talk about wrestling in general or all things fun in general. You can find that down below in each and every description as well. If you're new here and you enjoyed what you heard slash saw here today, do consider giving us that follow on Facebook, giving us that subscribe on YouTube giving the video a thumbs up on YouTube and ranking us five stars in Apple Podcasts, even if Apple Podcasts isn't your podcast listening platform of choice, as all those things really do help me to grow this show for all of you, which I thoroughly am all about doing because I enjoy doing it, hopefully as much as you enjoy listening to it. And as I always like to say, life is only as good as what you choose to make it to be. So make the choice to go out and do something great today.